Okay, this is the third in our four-part series on the Akedah. In the first part, we looked at the halachic background of Akedah's Kriyat Torah and Rosh Hashanah, which sort of justified this uh, this whole series. Um, and in last week's, we looked at the Akedah from a literary perspective as its place within the uh, within the literary framework of both the Vashem Pakarat Sarah through the Akedah, the larger issue of Avram and his sons, and the larger issue of Avram's life and Avram's career and the issue of the loneliness of his career, uh, which defined his career. What I'd like to do today, and this is today's shear, which is half an hour, really is like a, a whole year of shiurim, but we have one time, which is to look at some of the classic approaches taken to the problems of the Akedah. But the problems of the Akedah are something we haven't really talked about. And so even though we're going to sketch them out much more clearly next week, just a few things. One of the problems in the Akedah is, is the test. If we say that the opening opening statement is, and Nisa is translated as test, then the whole problem of testing is difficult. Why would HaKadosh Baruch test somebody? You test somebody, I mean, our school year has started, I give people quizzes and tests because I want to know if they know the stuff. I can't look at them and say, I know he knows it. I know he did the work. Kodesh Barucho doesn't need to test anybody. That's part one. The second thing is, what kind of test is this? It's a really kind of horrific test. Another problem that appears in, in um, so you, typically in more later writings, but on the Akedah, but one problem really, really emerges from the text itself is, why doesn't Avraham challenge God about this? Avram, who was ready to challenge God numerous times on God's own terms, whether it's at the before the Brit Ben Abitarim or famously over Stone, here Hashem says it, and Avram not only consents, but Avram seems to jump to it and gets up early in the morning to go. It's a very strange thing. So to kind of follow the whole sequence of things, what we're going to do is take a look in two parts. The first part is going to take a look at several midrashim straight from Breshit Rabbah uh, about the about the issue of the Akedan, specifically about the issue of the Nisayon, of the test, as it were, if that's what it means. And we'll see that that may not be what it means at all. And then later we're going to look at three of the classic midrashim and how they dealt with that problem of why, not the first problem of why is Hashem testing, but of the second problem, which is what was it Hashem was trying to accomplish, which of course as you, you'll see, obviates the issue of why would Hashem test, because they don't read it as a test. And you'll see many people don't read it as a test, and let's go. So the, uh, there's a series of Midrashim from Breshit Rabbah. Breshit Rabbah, parenthetically, is a Midrash Eretz Yisraeli from the 4th century. It includes some earlier material, uh, but it was um, evidently collated at that point, anthologized at that point. Uh, and this is from the famous critical edition, edition of Theodore and Albeck, is Albeck's grandfather, I think. Um, and here we go. So the the important to note in something about the style of midrash, uh, midrashim, uh, as you know, were were presented in Beit Knesset. They're presented to the people. They weren't part of the Beit Midrash curriculum. They're part of the Beit Knesset experience, and they're presented typically uh, before a Kriyat Torah. All right, and now since they are are um, are midrashim are Eretz Yisraelim, therefore they are 
kind of delineated along the Eretz Yisrael Kriot, which of course is about 100, between 154, 175 different parashot, depending which minhag you have. In Eretz Yisrael, in different communities, they finish the Torah every three, up to three and a half years. So it's broken up slightly differently. And so um, the Midrash was often delivered before the Kriyat Torah, and one of the artistic styles of homiletics was to begin a midrash with a pasuk somewhere else. Somewhere else, I just mean in a different book, in part of Tanakh, and to weave the midrash and end the midrash with the pasuk, the key pasuk that the midrash is about, typically the first key pasuk of the Kriya. A great example of this is if you open up the Ptichtaot of Eicha, the proems, the introductory midrashim that were used before the public reading of Eicha, they, each one of them starts with the Pasuk in Yeshayahu, in Yemiyahu, in Dvarim, wherever it might be, and the Darshan weaves it, and the very last word in the Midrash is Eicha, so it kind of leads into the reading. Yeah, it's beautiful, painful, but beautiful. The Pasuk of this first Midrash is a Pasuk in Tehillim, Natata liyirecha neis lihit noses. You have given those who fear you, the one who fears you, a banner to to unfurl. Mimnei koshet because of truth, Right? What does that mean? Well, we're going to see how the Midarshan uses it. So the in the printed text, you have first the Pasuk of the beginning of the Akedah. That's not the beginning of the Midrash. The beginning of the Midrash is the next Pasuk. The Pasuk starts with the Pasuk in Midrash, starts with the Pasuk in Tehillim. Now, what does that mean? Nisayon achar nisayon, gidalon achar gidalon. What does that mean? It means here they're reading the word nes and nisa as lifting up and unfurling. And because a nes is a banner. Right? It's a banner. So nisayon achar nisayon doesn't mean test after test, but rather lifting after lifting. Nes lit noses. Gidalon achar gidalon, which means making someone great and further and further. Why? Bishvil lenasotam ba'olam in order to raise them and give them high profile in the world. Why? Just like the mast of a boat. And that's what the word we use, uh, nace, for, uh, for uh, the sail. Why is God doing this? Why is God raising people up? Because of truth. What does that mean? So there's a little play on words. Koshet in Hebrew, means adornment. Kishutim. Koshet in Aramaic means truth. So the simple reading of the Pasuk is that you've given your those the one who fears you a banner to unfurl because of adornment. But the place in... Watch how the, the Midrash plays. It's beautiful. Bishvil shetit kashet midat adin shabaolam. So that true justice, and in this case being the truth, will become adorned. It's a play on both meanings of koshet. Shim yomar adam, what does that mean? L'mihu rotzeh ma'ashir, l'mishu rotzeh ma'ani. God is fickle. God is capricious. He wants to make somebody rich, he makes him rich. He wants to make him poor, he makes him poor. L'mishu rotzeh ma'ashir, l'mishu He wants to make somebody a king. He does, you know, the person has no particular quality or anything that qualifies him more than anybody else. But the gods are capricious, which is the 100% the pagan approach. Avraham, God likes Avram, so he made him famous, made him rich, made him a king. 
Right? So now, here's how you can answer him to make God's justice true. Could you do what Avram did? Avram was 100 when the boy was born. After all of this pain, God then said, take your son. And he didn't hold back. He went and did it. So In other words, God has given Avram an opportunity to unfurl his flag and show how great he is that he's willing to take this son of his eight old years, etc., and take him up and, and offer him up and kill him to show how great Avram is, so that when, when that Hashem chose Avram and enriched him and everything else is justified. And so the Midrash ends, and we go to the... There is another approach in the Midrash. That, by the way, means that the entire Nisa, which means to lift up, of the Akedah, was for the benefit, really, of others. Other people should see it, and they should take a, take a note and say, I now understand why Hashem chose Avram. He's greater than we all are. Okay? We have yet another pasuk. This is a pasuk earlier in Tehilim. Adonai tzadik yivchan v'rashav o'ev chamas But the first three words are what we care about. Hashem tests the tzadik. Now here it's tests. Watch this. Amar Rabbi Yonatan, hayotzer hazeh, a potter, a nobode kankanim miruaim. When he's in the marketplace, he doesn't hit the weak pots. He hits it once and they break. Which ones does he hit to impress the passers-by so they'll buy from him? The strong ones. He can hit them a few times, they don't break. So he impresses people. My pots are good. What's the parallel? Now, the parallel between the God and the potter is one we know from Yirmiyahu. Right, Yudchet, which of course leads to the very famous piyut God doesn't give a challenge to Rishayim. God challenges the tzadikim because he knows they can stand up to it. Which, by the way, continues to take the this akedah as being for the benefit of onlookers. But here, the benefit of the onlookers is not look how great Avram is, and God was just in in, in enriching him and empowering him. But rather, look what a person can accomplish. Wow. Now, God's not going to give that example. He's not going to make an example out of somebody who can't accomplish it, because that will defeat the purpose. So it's now an inspirational example. Okay? We're not done. What about a flax worker? When he knows that his flax is good, as he hits it, it gets stronger. But if it's not good flax, hits it once and it breaks apart. But now that's very different. Same pasuk, Hashem tests the tzadikim, but not because the tzadikim are guaranteed to stand up to it and therefore other people can see, ooh, you know, people are capable of doing much more, but rather because the tzadik becomes stronger. This is a page out of Nietzsche. Well, Nietzsche, whatever doesn't kill me makes me stronger. But the idea is, if somebody is a tzaddik and he's tested, he'll be able to not only withstand the test, but he becomes stronger as a result. A rasha breaks under the test, so there's, it's no good. But that means that the test is for the benefit of the person. Now, you roll it back and you say, okay, according to the first approach in the Midrash, 
that Akedah was for the benefit of God, so that everybody would see that God's empowering and enriching and choosing Avraham was justified. The second approach to the Midrash is that it was for the benefit of onlookers. So onlookers will see this is what somebody can accomplish. So God's only going to test somebody who can live up to it. The third approach is it's for the benefit of Avraham. Avraham becomes stronger as a result of this challenge. And now, by the way, the word in this second, these two seconds of Midrashim, the word Nisa becomes test, not lift up. One testing is hitting the pots, and the other is hitting the, the pishtan, but they're both testing the material. Right? And now Rabbi Loza gives an example. He has two cows, one strong, one's weak. Who does he put the burden on? Which is similar, but not the same as the last Midrash. In this last Midrash, it's as if to say, God has a job that has to get done. Who does he give it to? So a guy can handle it. The Rishayim can't handle it. Because really, what's the bothering the Midrash underneath all of this is, Adonai Tzadikiv Khan, why? Why are Tzadikim tested? Why are they given things in their life that are very hard to deal with, that the average person can't deal with? And now we have several answers. But we're really dealing with a subset of theodicy which is the most intractable problem that people of religion deal with, which is why do bad things happen in God's world? God is all good, God is all-knowing, God is all-powerful, and bad stuff happens. So the the Midrash is taking a little piece of that Eov dialogue, which is about theodicy, and reading it here onto something where the bad thing doesn't happen, but the challenge is great. So why do good people get these challenges? Why do good people suffer losses and all these things? Because either to show the rest of the world you can you can be stronger, look at that example, to make them stronger, or because God has to deliver it to the world, so he has to give it to somebody who can take it. Three different approaches to the same problem. Um, a fascinating side midrash that I just want to spend a couple minutes on just because it's it's really from a different position. One of the, in, the the core problems people talk about in discussing the Akedah is that not only was Hashem giving Abraham this really horrific challenge, but it was something that goes diametrically against what God has commanded, which is child sacrifice. So take a look at this. We have another Pasuk in Kohelet. what I did. The Midrash doesn't include it. I included the Pasuk separately with a citation from Kohelet. Bashar Dvar Melech Shilton. Right when the king says something, that's that's the law. Who can tell him what to do? You can't, you can't tell the king what to do. So Rabbi Avin Patach. Now Patach, important note, is a midrashic term, technical term, which means he gave his introductory homily to this parsha. You know, when they're going to read the Akedah, that's how we'd get up. And he started from pasuk Kohel, again a pasuk from somewhere else. Amar Rabbi Avin, l'rav I, it's a teacher who tells a student, I don't want you to lend money for Ebit. And the teacher himself does it. Ultimate hypocrite. And so the student says, you're telling me not to use, not to engage in usury, and you are. You have to look a little further. It's not so simple. I told you not to lend rebeat to other Jews, but to Goyim you can. 
you told us not to take vengeance or bear a grudge. The beginning of Sefer Nachum. God holds vengeance, right? So how can you tell us? Why are you holding us to a standard higher than yourself? I told you not to take vengeance or bear grudge against other Jews. So I told you to take vengeance against Midian. And I take vengeance against your enemies. Why is this all here? Because God said, Moshe said it in Varim. Don't test God. And nonetheless, this Midrash is reading Nisa's test and saying, there's an unfairness in here, which, by the way, the Midrash doesn't answer. It's just pointing out the unfairness, which is God told us not to test him, and yet God tests us. Now, we don't get an answer in the Midrash, but if we look earlier in the Midrash, we'll see that in the examples given of Rebit and of Nekama, the answer that the teacher gave in the case of Rebit and the answer that God gave in the, in the case of Nekama was that my statement was not an across-the-board statement. It was, it was unique. It was, select, it was, it was uh, selective or only in certain cases. You're not allowed to lend Rebit to these people. You're not allowed to take Nekama from these people. But others you can. There's nothing inherently wrong with it. The Midrash seems to be hinting to the idea that testing somebody is not inherently wrong. When God says, Lo tenasu, notice what he says. Lo tenasu kasher Don't behave that way. Say, God, where's the water? Where's the water? Right? And so God testing Avram tells us already, and this is part of the famous Socratic dialogue, that, that testing is not an inherently wrong thing. But that, of course, means you're reading Nisai's size testing. And that trying somebody is not an inherently wrong thing, because if it were inherently wrong, God wouldn't do it. But the Midrash leaves open doors and says, okay, so why is it justified? And we don't get to that. Um, this next piece of the Midrash addresses a different problem in, in the story, which is the essential Akedah, not just the testing issue. Chardvay Ma'ila. Why does it start a Chardvay Ma'ila? So Chardvay Ma'ila is a literary uh, bookmark for text that tell you, you know, this one came right after that, and maybe there's a causal relationship. The Midrash always likes to add things in, and what dvarim, what words were there? Meaning, people were thinking about stuff. Who's that? Mirher Avraham. Avraham himself was having thoughts. I had a big party for Yitzchak. Yitzchak was born. A big party when he was weaned. Very nice. I didn't bring any korbanot. I gave ready food. I did it on condition that I would even ask you to bring me your own son and you wouldn't hold back. Not that he's going to actually ask that. Rabbalazar has a different take. He says, Elohim is God. What is Veha Elohim? That means God and his heavenly court. What's going on? And this is shades of the opening scenes of Eov. Same thing. Abraham had a party and Abraham invited people, right? He didn't give God anything. So in this Midrash, HaKadosh Baruch says back to them. Because 
Because I'll show you, I will ask him to offer up his own son and he won't give back. Now, by the way, this is exactly taken from Eob. Because how does say for Eob start? There is the heavenly retinue and God is there and the Malachim are there and Satan comes from visiting the earth and God says, have you seen my from uh, Eovke? And Satan says, sure he's from, but uh, that's only because you made him rich. Let me take stuff away and see what happens. In other words, there's a dialogue between God and his own court about the virtue of his chosen one. And Avram and Eov, by the way, the Mishnah and Sota equates the two, right? So um, there's another take on on uh, on Achar Dvaymaila, which is in some Kitve Yad of Rashi it shows up, I think. Yitzchak Vishmael Ayumadanim Zayim Zeh. Yitzchak Vishmael having an argument. Yishmael's older. Zamar Nichavimim Chashemalti the Yudgimel Shana. Yishmael says, "I'm more beloved by God. I did the Brit Milah when I was 13." Yitzchak says, I'm more beloved because I did it when I was eight days old. I spent my whole life as an imol. But I'm more beloved because I could have said no. You couldn't have said no. You were eight, eight days old. Yitzchak turned and said, God will reveal himself to me. Halavai, that God would come to me and say, give me your arm. And I wouldn't hold back. So God adds to it, says, okay, you bring me your whole self and don't hold back. Now, notice what's happening. In this Agadah, the Akedah is presented as a divine response to people, excuse me for saying this, shooting their mouth off. People kind of Saying too much, as it were. The Malachim, Yitzchak, Avraham, because it's trying to point out that the Akedah is an impossibility. Why would this happen? And again, picking up from the scene in Eo. Shuvarim Levi, What's he talking about? So we're going to see that right now. All right, and we'll actually take a look at this right now. There is an in, there is um I'm I'm gonna quickly go through without even reading the words here, three different approaches taken by the Rishonim because there's another whole different approach to the Akedah that we gotta see. So Rashi famously quotes a Midrash um that um that we will see a little later on, where Rashi points out that when God said, Ha'alehu sham le'ola, lo marlo shachteh, he didn't say slaughter him. He said, put him up. Put him up and take him down. And now later on in, in his commentary, he, he kind of follows, flows it through, and he says, Avram turns to God after the malach stops him and says, I don't get it. Yesterday you said, Yitzchak's my future. Then you turned around and said, take him up. And now you're saying, don't hurt him. Which is it? So Kodesh Baruch Hu said, I never changed anything, right? When I said kach, I meant take him up, make him holy, and put him down. Don't kill him, right? And this, this approach that Rashi selectively takes from the Midrash, Rashi always does selectively and rewarding from the Midrash, he continues with when Yitzchak wants to go to, to Mitzrayim in Toldot. God says, I'll tell you Right? And so Rashi says, because he wanted to go down like his father did. HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, Ata meaning, you were put on the Mizbeach, you became a Korban, 
you can't leave the precincts of Eretz Israel. It's a din of Yotze, right? That's Rashi, which means, by the way, according to Rashi, Avraham was guilty of an extremely dangerous misunderstanding of the command. Because God's command was put him on the Mizbeach, make him holy and take him down, and Avram had the knife out. Right? That's Rashi. The Rabag takes it even further. The Rabag says, Aleu Sham Leolah means take him up and do an Olah with him. Meaning, take him up and train him. Show him how to take an animal and bring a Corbin. It's time for Yitzhak to be trained. Not Enzik, turn him into an Olah. That's the Rabag. The Rashbam is a whole different direction. It's wild. He starts with the issue of Achar Dvarim What's the Parsha right before the Akedah? It is the brief between Avimelech and Avraham. And Chazal have certain reservations about that brief because the brief was essentially a non a uh, mutual non-aggression treaty in which Avraham ceded part of Eretz Yisrael to the Plishtim. That becomes very big in the Midrashim on Shmuel Bet Perakei about the 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 uh, Ivrim and the Pischim. And so the Rashbam says, Achar means, the Akedah follows this. He says, God was angry, angry, about Avraham's making a breach with Avimelech. And he said, I'm going to show you the, uh, where is it? The Chara Poshel HaKadosh Baruch Wazot. Yisrael. Eretz Plishtim is part of Eretz Yisrael. Why is Avram giving it up? You're supposed to go to war. Not he tested him, he bothered him, he upset him. Right? And he brings up Psukim. You are so confident about this son that you have that you're going to make a multi-generational breed. Take him up and kill him as a korban, and let's see what happens with your with your breed. Right, that's the Rashbam. Now, uh, just, uh, analyzing the differences between these three Rishonim, and then taking a look at the Ramban and other commentators, and everybody has their own derech in the Akedah, is again a whole year. But notice that every one of them is contending with the following problem. The Akedah is just too hard to comprehend. So Rashi understands it as a mild misunderstanding. The Rabag understands it as a gross misunderstanding. And the Rashbam understands it as a punishment. But nobody reads it just straight up as God saying, okay, let's see how firm you are. Let's uh, you know take your son and kill him. Right? There's always another piece. There's an interesting last thing I want to share with you in this, which is that just as we find when you go into the Rishonim, when you go into the Midrashim, and you find that the characters that we knew and the stories that we know are not nearly as homogenized, I mean, in the sense, yeah, homogenized, as we were brought up to think. There is rabbinic critique of Avraham, there's rabbinic critique of, there's certainly rabbinic critique of Yaakov and of Yosef, along with the majesty. There's a big rabbinic critique on Avraham, and take a look at this. In Yirmiyahu Yodtet, we have the Pasuk, people would you know, offer their children up and give any nom. I never commanded it. I never said it. It never occurred to me. I never wanted this. And people are doing it and calling my name. Chazal have an interesting take on this. They say, We saw that in the Midrash. The king of Moab, there was a war 
of Moab against Edom, Yehuda, Israel. Crazy story. Malachim Bet Gimel, the thing with the water looked like it was blood. That whole story with Elisha. And when it turned, the war turned against Moab, he took his own firstborn son, slaughtered him, and hung him up on the wall of the city. It was really gross. So Asher Lot Tziviti, that's that. Right? Lodi Barti, what's that? Zay Yiftach. Remember Yiftach and his daughter? Right? He made the oath, the vow, and then he killed his daughter. Look what the Midrash does. It equates the Akedah to Yiftach and his daughter and to Mesha and his son. Which is wild because this puts the Akedah in a very different place. Right? Um... And uh, here, just for your benefit, I put some of the Midrashim in English here. What we've seen over the course, really, of the last uh, the last half hour is that the issue of the the issues of the Akedah, including the notion of God testing, the notion of the nature of the test, um, the connection of Achar Dvarim Ha'ele, all of these questions which put together create a real maze and mystery of how to figure out what's going on in the Akedah. Avraham is not challenging God. So the Midrash fills it in, and Avraham does challenge God, but doesn't challenge God on ethical judgment terms, but rather on consistency terms. He's saying this, and he's saying the opposite, etc. And the Midrash puts it together. We find that the Balea Midrash and the Rishonim, and by the way, continues in every period of commentary, are sorely troubled by almost every corner of the Akedah story, and contend with it in different ways. And as you saw, the Midrash even reads Nisa in three different ways, as to raise up and announce publicly, to raise up and make great, and to test. Why are Tzadikim tested? So the Akedah becomes, a as challenging as it is, because of that, it becomes a wealthy uh, repository of discussion an analysis about God's justice in the world, God's relationship with people, God's relationship with the elevated people and how they're supposed to interact with everybody else and be models for everybody else, uh, the consistency of God's own words, etc. The Akedah becomes a, a real maelstrom, really, of uh, of discussion about that. What we're going to do in Yerush Hashem next week is offer a whole different take on the Akedah, which addresses at one shot all of those questions but is, uh, shall we say, somewhat surprising. So I'll see you in a week. In the meantime, uh, have a great week, and uh, everybody should be healthy.